0: Turn with me to the first few words of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now, um, some books, some novels, they, they, they capture our imagination. They draw us in simply because of their very first sentence, don't they? Some books, some novels have incredibly memorable opening lines. You know, if I was to say to you, um, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, then I'm sure many of us are going to think instantly, that's a tale of two cities by Charles Dickens. And uh, I remember many, many years ago at school, I remember being... Absolutely you know transfixed by a book from its very very first sentence, because the book's opening line um, it began it was the day my grandmother exploded. what an opening line that had me uh, from the very outset, from the very first words. It was the day my grandmother exploded. And today, folks, as I've already said, we begin a a new sermon series. And it's a series where we are going to look at the opening 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters. And our intention this morning really is to have an introductory sermon. That's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at the background, to Genesis. We're going to look at some of the facts, some of the details about the book. But at the same time, what we're going to do all the way through this morning is we're going to keep one eye on the very first few words of Genesis. Because, friends, surely there has never been in all of history a more kind of captivating, a more uh, enthralling opening to a book than that of Genesis. Just look at it. What are the first four words? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So, what we'll do, there's going to be a slightly different structure to our our morning service, our our morning sermon. What we'll do is we will set before us just now, we'll set before us and we'll, we'll attempt to answer six introductory questions about Genesis. Okay? Six introductory questions. So, if you are ready, folks... If, you've, uh, if you're taking notes, if you've got a pen and paper, if your Bibles are open, let's uh, get cracking with this. And let's consider our first question this morning. Ready? First question. And that is simply, why is Genesis called Genesis? What's the title all about? Why is Genesis called Genesis. Well, this is, this is very possibly an, an urban legend. But I was uh, reading this week of a weightlifter. And the weightlifter's name was Mr. Armstrong. And uh, of course, the, the fastest man in the world is called Mr. Uh, Bolt. And uh, the greatest golfer in the world is not called Mr. Putter. And he's not called Mr. Irons, but he is, of course, called Mr. Woods. These are very, very appropriate names, aren't they? And that is the case with Genesis. Because the title, it comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the word Genesis, it means... Origins. Genesis means beginnings. And we see straight away that that is an incredibly, incredibly appropriate book, isn't it? Because all the way through, Genesis tells us about origins. It tells us about the beginnings of so many things, doesn't it? You know, think about what we've got in Genesis. We've got the origins of the universe, don't we? We've got the beginnings of the earth. We've got the beginnings of marriage, the beginnings of, of mankind. We've got the beginnings, the origins of the Sabbath. We're told about where pain comes from. And where death comes from. And we're told about the origins. Not just of life. But of salvation. And redemption. And reconciliation with God. This is a book about origins, isn't it? It is a book about beginnings. If ever there was an apt title for a book, it is Genesis. Now that's fine. But look again at the first four words of verse 1. What does Genesis not tell us the origin of? What does it say? It says, In the beginning god in the beginning god you see genesis doesn't tell us of the origins of god now why not it doesn't tell us because the almighty god of heaven and earth he has no beginning he has no origin consider that he is eternal He is pre-existent. He is separate. He is transcendent from from all else in creation. God existed in eternity, through eternity, from eternity. Consider that there was never even a split second. There was never even a, a breath. There was never a moment When God was not. In the beginning, before everything else. In the beginning, God. So Genesis, what does it mean? Genesis means origins. Okay, a second question. Who wrote the book? Who wrote it? Who wrote Genesis? Well, if you're brought up in a Christian church, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, come on, Moses wrote Genesis. You know, that's the testimony of the church for uh, probably the best part of 18 or 19 centuries. Moses wrote Genesis. Well, it's not quite as clear-cut as that, is it? Because... Over the last, let's say, couple of centuries, over the last 200 years, and and with the rise of um, what's called liberal scholarship or higher criticism, there's been a a distinct move away from that idea. There's been a move away from the idea that Moses penned this book that we've got in front of us. And nowadays, if you go to your divinity faculties up and down the land. Nowadays, what you'll be taught is that Genesis is actually four different accounts that were kind of cut and pasted together by an editor, by a redactor, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Moses' death. That's the current scholarly thinking, certainly in liberal circles. But, is it right? Is that right? Well, it all really comes down to how we view the Bible. It comes down to how we, how you view the authority of Scripture. Because you see, time and time again, In the Bible, Scripture attributes the Pentateuch. Scripture attributes the first five books of the Bible to Moses, doesn't it? Think about that. If if we're reading through the Bible, we hear the Pentateuch being referred to as what? the, The law or the laws of Moses? Or it's referred to as the books of Moses. We see that all the way through the Old Testament. Then when we get into the New Testament, we see it in the Gospels. We, we see it in the rest of the New Testament too. And then consider... Consider that episode of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Friend, are you familiar with that episode? What happens there? Well, Jesus is explaining... He's explaining to his traveling companions how all of Scripture, all of the Old Testament, how all of it points forward to him. Now, he's dealing with all of Scripture. Where does he begin? Well, Luke twenty four twenty seven tells us that beginning with Moses, And all the prophets, he explained what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So, you see, friends, we can stand comfortably and we can stand confidently with these generation upon generation of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can affirm what scripture teaches us. We can affirm quite comfortably that under the inspiration of the holy spirit that moses penned moses wrote genesis and that has a practical lesson for us all this morning that has a practical implication for you and i you see ask yourself How does the authority of scripture actually impact your life? How does the authority of God's word, how does it have an impact on your life? Now, are we, are you like these higher critics? Are you? Are you like the liberal scholars? Are there certain areas of Scripture that you simply reject out of hand because they don't fit with your world view? Is there a danger that we do that? Is there a danger that we ignore or sideline certain areas of Scripture because you know we just don't like them? It doesn't fit with our view of society. It doesn't fit with our worldview. It doesn't fit with how we view ourselves, even. Folks, we can't have that attitude to the Bible. Why not? Because in the beginning, God. And he has breathed out his word. It is an infallible and inerrant word. And yet we should come to it in a thinking way, thoughtfully. Of course we should. And we should come to Scripture in a studious way. But we should bow before it, seeking to obey, seeking to believe everything that the Bible teaches. So, The Bible means, sorry, Genesis means origins, okay? And it was written by Moses. The third question, to whom, to whom was Genesis written? To whom was Genesis written? Well, I think we can quite safely fly through this at 100 miles an hour because there's two very basic things that we have to say about this, okay? Okay? The first thing is that because Moses wrote the book, the initial recipients of Genesis were the people of God. The initial recipients were that early community of faith. That's the first thing. The second thing is just to point out the relevance of Genesis to us Because of its original context. It's a relevant book to our congregation because of its original context. You see, Moses writes it. So the original context is either a people who are in captivity in Egypt. Or it is a people who are spending year upon year in the wilderness. And see, that's a people who are exposed, if you think about it, it's a people who are exposed on a daily basis, day by day, to pagan peoples. There are people all around them with various different ideas about God and various confusing ideas about origins. And into that situation, what does God do? God provides his people with Genesis. God provides his people who are surrounded by by other pagan nations. God provides Genesis. He provides truth and he provides clarity about the origins of the universe and the origins of earth and, and, and man and sin. Now, friends, can you see how relevant that is to us at LCPC? Do you see it. Where are we? We are in the centre of a massively cultural, a massively cosmopolitan city. I think if we're honest, we're we're surrounded by um surrounded on all sides by all manner of differing ideas about God, aren't we? So many different ideas about God in London. There's so many different and confusing ideas about origins too. And into that situation, what do we have at our fingertips here? We have got Genesis. Here, God provides us with clarity. God provides us with truths about himself and truths about origins. This is a massively applicable book for our congregation at this time and in this city. Okay. Now, we had, on Monday night, the Congregational Annual General Meeting. Highlight of the calendar, the AGM. Now, I have to confess something, and that is that in previous AGMs at other congregations, whenever it gets, whenever it gets to the financial, uh, the financial report, I kind of find my eyes kind of go over, and uh, I find my brain uh, switching off. So. given the situation that on uh, Monday night our poor treasurer here, she had five years worth of financial reports to go through, I have to confess that I feared the worst and I feared that I might drift away. But to my surprise, uh, on Monday night things were very, very different and something that I thought would be dull And uh, boring actually turned out to be incredibly informative, incredibly helpful, and fascinating. And that's the case for our fourth question this morning. And that's simply what is the structure of the book of Genesis? What is the structure of this book? Now, I know what you're thinking. I do know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can, how can the structure, how can the layout of Genesis be anything but a wee bit dry here, a bit, bit dull? I think we'll find here that that is anything but the situation. If we get our heads around how Genesis is set out, how, it, how it's laid out, then we'll find two things. We'll find that it's intricate and we'll also find that it is structured in a Christ centered way. And there's two structures just to think about here. The the first one's really pretty straightforward. Genesis can be uh, divided into two. I'm not saying that there are two distinct parts to Genesis. These parts are integrally linked, but there is an obvious point of division. We've got chapter 1 to chapter 11, and if you want a title for that, that would be primeval history. So that's, you know, chapter 1 to 11. It's dealing with the beginnings of the world. And then you've got the second section, friends, and that's chapter 12 to the end of the book and that is patriarchal history that's dealing with guys like Abraham and guys like Jacob and guys like Joseph so two sections and it is in the first of these sections chapters 1 to 11 that we as a congregation are going to be basing ourselves it's in that first section we're going to be camping out, if you like, for the next few months. And the question has to be, why, doesn't it? Why? Why Genesis 1-11? Well, I could give you a really long-winded answer to that. I won't. I'll just read you a quote by a pastor by the name of David Platt. He sums it up best. He says this, If we miss the truths of the beginnings. If we miss the truths of Genesis 1 to 11, then we miss the whole point of the Bible. So Genesis split into two. Okay, the second structure is more important. So please hear this. Genesis can be divided, or is divided, into 11 different sections we have an introduction in the creation account and that is followed by ten different sections that all begin in the same way every section every one of these ten different sections in Genesis it begins with the same phrase it is governed and introduced by the same phrase I suppose it depends on what translation of the Bible you have in front of you just now, but that phrase is either these are the generations of or this is the account of. So that phrase, it appears ten times. Now again, we've got to ask why. What purpose does that phrase serve? Well, that phrase, what are the generations of? It acts like a zoom lens on a camera. We start Genesis with creation, don't we? We start Genesis with this massive, initial, broad scope of the universe, of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And then we have the phrase, and the focus narrows. There's a momentum and it narrows down to a people group. And then the phrase appears again. And the focus is narrowed again. And we're down to a family. And then there's further momentum and the phrase appears again. And we're down to one man. And then eventually the phrase appears. And we come down to what? One Singular seed. One singular offspring. We start with the creation and we end with one singular seed. Do you begin to see the significance? Do you begin to see the importance in the way that Genesis is structured? It's amazing. Even in the way, even in the way that it's set out. Even in the layout of the book, God is pointing his people to the coming of a saviour. Genesis is split into 11 different sections. It is a most intricate and a Christ-centred structure. Okay, folks, we, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, and I guess if this were the London Marathon that we would very much be on the closing street because we've just got uh, a, a couple of things to mention and these are linked. So let's look at them together. The fifth question is that big question, why? You know, why Genesis? Why was Genesis written? Why was Genesis written? So at that let me suggest something slightly controversial. Let me suggest that Genesis is something of the black sheep of the Christian canon. That Genesis is something of the black sheep of the Bible. You see, Genesis is the book that Christians are embarrassed about. Genesis is the book that causes us discomfort. And it causes us a whole heap of headaches. Because especially when it comes to the the, the creation account, such is the confusion there. And and such is the ridicule that we face because of it, that we as Christians, we find ourselves recoiling from Genesis, don't we? We find ourselves distancing ourselves from, from, from this book. Now that's not acceptable, is it? So how do we rectify that situation? Well, part of the reason that the Christian church struggles with the book of Genesis is that we come to Genesis in the wrong way. We come to Genesis asking all the wrong questions of this book. You know, we come to Genesis and we ask, right, where exactly was the Garden of Eden? We ask, the flood, what did it cover? Did it cover the whole world? See, those days in genesis 1 are those really literal 24 hour days do you get it we come to genesis we open the book wearing our lab coats you know we're asking questions like how and questions like when where we should be opening genesis and we should be doing so on bended knee. And friends, we should be seeing the who of Genesis. We should be remembering those first four words. You see, Genesis is not book primarily about you know scientific answers that are going to please and pacify men. That's not it. This is a book primarily about bringing glory to God, glory and honor to the Creator, God. And that leads us into our final thing this morning. We end with this, our sixth question. What does this mean for us? What do these first four words mean for you and me? Well, friends, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He was there eternally. Everything in heaven and everything on earth It flows from God. And surely, if anything, that must mean that you give God primacy in your life. He has to be the first in all things in your existence. In the beginning, God. That means he has to be first in your heart. He has to be first in your affections. He's got to be first in, in your family. He's got to be first in our church lives. He's got to be first, the first subject in our prayer. And he has to be the first in our day. Now, let me ask you this morning, is that the case for you? Is God number one? Is he? Is he the most important thing in your life. See, Genesis 1-1, it should be a kind of energizing motto for us. An energizing motto. It's not in the beginning, I. It's not in the beginning, money. It's not in the beginning, work, or in the beginning, family. The motto, your motto, my motto must be in the beginning God. Friends, this is a great book. It is a book about creation, fall, and redemption. It is a story that leads from God to a garden, it's a story that leads from the fall to a flood. A story that leads from a serpent to a seed, and it is a story that ultimately culminates at a cross where this God, this eternal pre existent God, He Lord Himself and He died for you. Friends, praise God. For his great plan of redemption a plan of redemption that begins in genesis and a plan that can bring us back in reconciliation to our father a supreme and a holy and a sovereign and a creator god let's pray